You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy, I am wearing my underwear, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And Speedy lost a bet this week on mm. the Sports Loudmouths, and he had to wear a woman's panty on his head for the whole show. He was humiliated, but it was very, very funny, and we had some amazing guests on uh, the Sports Loudmouths, and we have an amazing guest tonight. We have Lee Bodden. He was a cornerback in the NFL for seven years, where he played for the Cleveland Browns, the New England Patriots. Great career. He's a, a politician now. You will get into the playoffs and, and what's going on in his career and what he's doing after he retired from football. So, Lee Bodden will be joining us a little bit later in the show, so we're very excited about that. Speedy, how was your week? It's doing going well. A lot of sports this weekend. A lot of great football players we interviewed throughout the week that set it up nicely. But divisional round is always the best one, especially the Bengals and the Titans. I have a good friend that's a Bengals fan. I have a lot of family that are Titans fans, too. So that'll be my rooting interest, really, for the rest of the playoffs. So I'm hoping whoever wins that game, they go far. And well, you don't want to Super tell Bowl. anybody who won. As we are live after the Islander game, it's 10.30 p.m. And shout out to the Islanders. They're playing great hockey, and we're going to get into them in just a few moments. And the Rangers. A lot of hockey to talk about and, and the passing of Clark Gillies. You look at what's going on in, in football, the divisional series. This is the best time of year when it comes to football. This is the best week when it comes to football, Speedy. No, it definitely is because you, you usually get the closest games in this time. A lot of time, even in the AFC Ch- NFC Championship games, you get blowout, which this round you don't really see as much. Yep. We're going to get into the Giants hired a new GM as Dave Gettleman retires. Well, he was going to get fired, but <laughs> he retires. They bring in... Joe Shane, the assistant GM from the Bills, his number one target and his number one thing that he's going to be looking for is a new head coach. John Mara has spoken out and said that he is going to reach out to Brian Flores himself. So maybe it's Brian Flores when it comes to the coach. It's a great pick. We'll see. Brian Flores is interested in the Texan job. Does this mean if Brian Flores comes here... Does that mean a little birdie over there in Texas, Deshaun Watson, might be heading here to New York as well? We are going to add sports betting as we have Chaz and the crew joining us. And we're going to call the segment Moneyline Mania. This is the first time we're going to be introducing this topic and this segment to our network and our show. Tonight, it's just going to be Chaz. Next week, we're going to start adding some of the best handicappers in the country joining us and making their picks as New York sports betting, which we'll talk a little bit about that as sports betting has become legalized here in New York and it's going to be a big target. It's going to bring in money and revenue here in New York, which we're absolutely lacking with COVID-19 and our taxes so high. So this is a good thing for a New York and sports uh, over here, so even though the New York teams never win, but you could bet on them to lose. It's not absolutely. Hard. I, then again, in defense, the Jets did beat the Battle of the Bengals and Titans. So yes, they beat both did. teams. Yes, they did, and, and, and both teams have a chance to go to the Super Bowl this year. It's crazy, but anyways, I want to give a shout out to some of the people this week. One of them, I've been a big fan of his since I was a kid. My father loved him. 
My mother used to sing his songs in the shower, and that's Meatloaf, yep. who passed away this week. It, it's crazy. A lot of these big names, Betty White died. When you think of Meatloaf, you think of all the different things that he did over the years, not only for music, but for the movie industry. Has anybody seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Which his music and who he was and what he stood out as a musician, his personality to the movie really added a different dimension to the movies in the 70s. So when you think of Meatloaf, the personality and the music that he brought to the world, he will be missed. I think he passed away at 74 years old. Yep. Wife was right by his side. It was Friday, like 3 something a.m. I remember I was on Twitter and I it broke literally right about that. I like five minutes ago that Meatloaf passed away. Local story for me because I grew up in Connecticut, right in Connecticut. He actually has a house right around there that he bought after they stopped touring for a while. He actually has a house there, so that's probably as close of like a local connection of, from a celebrity perspective as you can get, but absolutely a rock icon. One, both my parents' favorite rock artists, and they got us into it with Bat Out of Hell, one of the greatest albums, really top to bottom. He's really an iconic guy, like you were saying, with the movie industry, TV shows, personality, the way he brings himself out is just fantastic. Absolutely. I saw him in Woodbury when him and his daughter were going on tour, and I had the opportunity to see Meatloaf. Very interesting when you see an you know, artist, you see an athlete. As a kid, they weren't as big in the industry. And then all of a sudden, as they go on tour as an older industry type of musician, you got to see and get to hear the music that people loved in the time that he was dominant when it came to the music industry. So Meatloaf, may he rest in peace. Uh, shout out to his family. He will be missed. And his music will always be here mm -hmm. for us to listen to. But another person and another great athlete, he's a New Yorker. Growing up, everybody loved Clark Gillies. If you were an Islander fan, you knew who Clark Gillies was. And a lot of people are posting up his pictures at Old Nassau Coliseum, even in Brooklyn when he went to see and had the opportunity to check out the Islanders in Brooklyn. To me, I never had the opportunity to have a conversation with Clark Gillies. I actually skated with Clark Gillies when I was a teen. I played against the Islanders, the 70-80 Islanders, Long Island All-Stars against the championship Islander team. And Clark Gillies did play in the game, so I never really had the opportunity to talk with him. But I took a couple of pictures with him on the ice with the Islander team. That was something that I remember Clark Gillies as. But what you think of Clark Gillies as is a leader. He was the leader of that Islander team, and he was a mean player. Everybody that has talked about Clark Gillies since he's passed away said that he was so vicious, and he, he played with his heart on his shoulders, and, and just who he was as a leader for the New York Islands, those championship teams, those, those teams of dominance, the late 70s, early 80s. When you talk about the, the greatness of, of a defenseman, and that's what Clark Gillies was, he wasn't the goal-scoring defenseman. He wasn't that guy that was going to score 200 goals, and he went to the Hall of Fame because of that. He went to the Hall of Fame because of his ability of leadership, his ability to win. He always played the game hard, and that's what Clark Gillies will be remembered as. And he passed away at a very young age. When you try to compare and contrast some of the great Islanders of all time, Clark Gillies would be in my top five. And obviously Mike Bossy and Bobby Nystrom. But the guys that stood up and, and really stood into the Islander culture, why you wanted to be an Islander from the 70s and the 80s, Clark Gillies was the name that everybody wanted to compare and contrast to, Speedy. Yes, the heart and soul 
of that core of that Islanders team. Obviously, they had all the, the big-name players, but Clark Gillies, like you were saying, the toughness, the physicality, the leadership that he brought, really wasn't known as this offensive juggernaut. He could score on occasion, he could pass on occasion, but he was really the, the physical guy. Again, I'm not an Islander fan, but I always respect physical hockey, and I think it's something that really has been lost a lot in today's game, and Clark Gillies in that era of hockey was really the heart and soul when it comes to physical hockey, that Islanders core, that homegrown core that they had with the dynasty they had with the four Stanley Cups in a row. Al Arbor, one of the greatest coaches in NHL history. Which really redefined forechecking. Al Arbor really redefined what forechecking was in the NHL, and that had a lot to do with Clark Gillies and and the way the Islanders played. For those that don't know, Clark Gillies has one of the coolest middle names, too. His middle name is Jethro. Jethro Toll! Yes. Fitting for an enforcer, but definitely a guy that definitely will be missed in the hockey community. One of the greatest enforcers of that time. I'm one of the greatest leaders and one of the nicest guys in that hockey community for it's sure. It's crazy when you hear some of the players say how mean he was on the ice, but right. Off the ice, everybody and anybody that's ever met him said he's one of the nicest, sweetest guys. And every time somebody wanted to take a picture with him or get an autograph, he was so gracious to give you that opportunity. There are other Islanders that are not like that, a.k.a. somebody that likes to smoke cigarettes, Mr. Mike Bossy. But that's a whole nother story. He was the captain as well, 77 to 79. Yep. And again, four Stanley Cups in a row. He played 14 years with the Islanders from 1974 to 1988. And uh, according to this report, he died of cancer at age 67. Also, another important face to New York sports and Long Island sports for the last 30, 35 years and and losing a a Samaritan, a great player of that magnitude. Again, to the Gillies family, may he rest in peace. And I hope Islander fans will have the opportunity to remember some someone as special and as great as Clark Gillies. Why don't we get into the Islanders who are playing unbelievable hockey? Thank God, because in the first, what, five weeks of the season, the Islanders were tortured with injury and COVID-19. The game should have been called earlier in the season with COVID hitting the Islanders and, and some of the players getting knocked out. Nine players at one time got knocked out, and then they were bringing up players that shouldn't even be in the NHL. And the Islanders went on almost 11-game losing streak without getting a point, and it really set the Islanders back. They're still slowly but surely moving up in the Metropolitan Division. They're very far from the lead board. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes completely dominated the Rangers the other night. Yeah. And the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers, who would have thought the Rangers would be in the top of the Metropolitan Division. Pittsburgh's now surpassed Washington. So, yeah, so. Pittsburgh playing great hockey right now. So the Islanders are now playing catch-up. They have a lot of games in hand with a lot of these teams that are ahead of them. Not as much to catch up to them, but they have like four or five games at hand uh, with the Rangers, the Washington Capitals, the Hurricanes. The Islanders got to continue winning. And that has a lot to do with goaltending and what Sorokin has done this this year, even with the, the defensive injury, defensive lapses with Barry Trotz, who would have thought that Barry Trotz's defense would completely lapse? But it has been a lapsing problem for the Islanders this year. This goaltender, Sorokin, their young goaltender, who they signed uh, a year and a half ago, is slowly but surely taking over as the starting goaltender for this Islander team. It's no longer Volamov. He is the guy. He's the go-to guy in the net. And if the Islanders want to win moving forward, he, Speedy, is going to be a big part of where this team is going to go. Yes, this is a good test for him this year in his first full season to overcome that kind of adversity, too, that I, I think is really going to help him grow his game long-term. You talked about all the injuries and the COVID, also the travel lag that they had to go through in the beginning of the season playing all those road games. That's a big test for a young goaltender right away. And he's 
been up to the challenge in so many different ways. When you talk about all the defensemen that have gone down, all these young combinations, like you were saying, players that weren't expected to be called up this year, all of a sudden getting the call, and guys like Robin Sala, who scored his first goal this week, playing prominent roles in top defensive pairings, second defensive pairings, and making that kind of thing work. Even though this, the whole system has been a little down from where we know Barry Trotz's physicality and defense to bring, again, they've had a lot of issues trying to deal with all these injuries, all these COVID guys all at once, and then it seems like when somebody else comes back, somebody else goes down. It's kind of like the, what the Mets have dealt with year in and year out. It seems like every time somebody gets hurt for the Mets, then somebody else comes back, and then someone else gets hurt again. The Islanders are kind of dealing with that between the injuries and the COVID this year, but they still got a shot. They, they right now have seven games at hand on the Penguins. They have eight games at hand on the Rangers and Washington. When it comes to the wild card, they have four games at hand on the Bruins. They're right now 14 points behind the Bruins. That's right now the second wild card. And even Toronto is not really a sure thing either. They're 37 games played 51 points. The Islanders right now trailing them by 17. So we'll see. if. Speak they of the devil, close. they're playing them tonight. They put on, on a good challenge. And Sorokin has to play in more of these double back-to-back games. If the Islanders are going to depend on their goaltending as they move forward, it's no longer Valamo. Valamo of last year was a Venzina Trophy candidate. He was one of the best goalies in the league. But ever since his injury, he hasn't been the same goalie. And coming back even this year, he hasn't been the same. And the Islanders, with a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs and other teams that are right now in the Metropolitan Division that they're chasing, they need to win these games. Especially against the Toronto Maple Leaf team, let's be honest, they don't like A.K. John Tavares, who completely dominated in the first game of the season where they shut out the Islanders. Right. They need to play their game against these best, these good teams in the Eastern Conference. So the Islanders need to continue playing the way they are. They finally have over a 500 record, something they haven't had all season long. They're playing their game. Now, Barry Trotz has got to get their troops moving forward, getting stronger defensively. Pulak's coming back. They're in a good position right now. If they continue winning and teams continue losing, where they can actually catch up. And and even if they're the 8th seed or 7th seed, who Mm -hmm. would want to play the Islanders in the first round? Not the Rangers, not the Capitals, not the Penguins. And definitely not the Leafs if it comes down to that. (laughs) As far as the Rangers are concerned, there's really nothing to say bad about the Rangers. They're playing great hockey, great goal scoring from Chris Kreider, who's on a four-game goal scoring streak. He's unbelievable. He's having his best season. Maybe it's because of the coach. There's a bit of jazz starting to play very well. The only person that hasn't played at the top of his game yet, which I believe his game will start to peak as the season progresses, is Panarin. But Panarin's still having a decent season. He's just not having a Panarin season. He should have Chris Kreider's goals. He should have 24, 23 goals right. as we go into the second half of the season. I will say this about Chris Kreider. For all the Ranger fans that were trying to push him out of New York Mm -hmm. and try to trade him, I'm sure Ranger fans are not doing that anymore, Speedy. No. I remember at that time, too, when he was on that trade block two years ago, I was saying don't trade him because he's the only physical forward the Rangers have. And he wasn't really known for his goal scoring. He was always more of a great playmaker, great vision on the ice, and could hit. And the Rangers didn't really have any other forwards that could hit outside of these stereotypical fourth-line guys. But now, with Gallant's system, the goal scoring really has come out of him, too, where he's scoring a lot of the tough goals, he's getting to shoot the puck a lot more, because other guys are really spacing. They have other guys that maybe are not having the 
prolific goal scoring years, but are had great years passing, spacing the ice. And that's what you see with a lot of these young guys. We've seen Lafreniere kind of out with COVID right now, but we've seen other guys on those third and fourth lines step up too. Guys like Ryan Strom now trying to get a new contract. He started to play well. And even on the defense, you're really seeing growth from a lot of these young defensemen. Keandre Miller, Braden Schneider, who just came up recently, has played very well to start the season too. So that's a good sign for the Rangers right now. They just lost a tough one against Carolina, who's I think a better team than them still, but 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. you got to give them a lot of credit the way they've played. And they've won in a lot of different ways too. Now coming back in the third period the way they did against the Leafs as well. Doing a lot of good things. And even though their goal differential is not great, it's still good for them to win close games too. Also, they have a great goaltender who's arguably one of the top three goalies in the league right now, Igor Sestorkin. And to me, he has to stay healthy. The Rangers need to keep their players healthy. And he is an important piece. If the Rangers have any chance in the playoffs. Now, this is still a team that's still trying to figure out who their identity is and what their identity is. With Gallant being there, this might be a season when it comes to the playoffs, just like the Islanders, where you're going to really put your foot in the door and try to figure out who you are. So this might not be the year for the Rangers to win a Stanley Cup, but it might be a year where you're going to get to know who they are as a team as they progressively grow with Gallant as their coach. So when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our guest, Lee Bodin, joining us, a cornerback, seven years in the NFL, one of the more likable corners in the NFL, a political guy and NFL extraordinaire. He will be joining us when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Drizzle Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What a great weekend for sports. The Giants introducing their new GM, Joe Shane, and all the different things that we're hearing. We talk about the Knicks. The Knicks trying to figure out who they are. Are they going to trade Julius Randle as the trade deadline starting to approach? Where do the Knicks go moving forward with this team? How about the Brooklyn Nets with the injury to Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving not playing home games? Where is this team figuring out and where they're going to go moving forward as the season progresses? And James Harden is starting to play good basketball. So there's so much going on in New York sports and around the country and around the world. So happy to introduce this guy, a very well-respectable player throughout his career in the NFL. We are now talking to former Browns, Lions, and Patriots corner, Lee Bond. What's going on, Lee? Hey, nothing, man. How you guys doing, man? Well, back and forth bantering about the playoffs and where the Giants need to go when it comes to coaching. Over the last seven years, the Giants have been one of the worst teams in the National Football League. A very well-respected organization, Tom Coughlin, Bill Parcells, and by the way, the only team that knocked off your New England Patriots (laughs) before the Eagles did. So how are you doing? Retired and How's your family doing with this whole COVID-19 situation? Oh, man. Retirement has been enjoyable, man. I've been retired for pretty much 10 years now, a whole decade. Last game I played was 2011. And again, we're in 2022 now. So I've been enjoying it. Family is dealing with COVID just fine because I know health is the most important thing. Obviously, playing football, it was exercise, it was health, it was eating right. And that's what I just kept maintaining throughout the life and with my family. So we all good over here, man. And retirement life has been fun. I've been traveling the world, meeting a lot of different people, obviously doing business. Now I'm running for county executive. So so it's a lot of things going on in my life, man. And still watching 
and checking up on some football. It's always some good games on good competition out there. You were drafted by the Cleveland Browns, and they weren't a very top-notch organization when you were there, obviously. They're slowly building Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett in the draft. This team has slowly but surely built some kind of reputation as a more smash-mouth team. What are your thoughts from when you started with the Cleveland Browns and where they've really built their team as a world AFC conglomerate? They found something with Baker Mayfield. I think they have stuck with him for quite some time. He's had some coaching changes, ups and downs. But I think, to be honest, that's where Cleveland, their problem has been for a long time. My rookie year, we had Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb, And they were kind of going back and forth and didn't really choose which one to stick with. And I feel like as you see the recipe for success with football and teams are coaches and quarterbacks and no carousel, not having a carousel and having that cohesive bond between the head coach and the quarterback. So that's been the issue. But you've seen with Cleveland these past few years, they've been securing the defense, getting cornerbacks, linemen, linebackers, receivers, running backs tight ends so they have everything that they need but the quarterback needs to be solidified obviously Baker Mayfield played well last year but then this season kind of up and down so you secure that quarterback position and he gets better or if they move on and get somebody else that's going to be the thing that Cleveland needs to get over that hump but again last year they were right there but then they took a step back this year so it's like do you go one more year with Baker to see if he can repeat last season again that's a GM's decision. You know, it's a tough one to make. But again, that quarterback position is what is needed to move far in the playoffs. In the NFL, you see every playoff team has a a really good quarterback. So that's really going to get you far in the NFL. So a lot of the guys you play with on the Browns are a lot of talented defensive players. You had Quell Jackson, Andre Davis, Mm -hmm. linebacker. You had William McGinnis for a couple of years. Eric Wright, other side, cornerback was pretty good as well. So what were some of those players like? And also Romeo Cornell, when he came over there as the head coach, what was he like? Listen, I mean, we had a ton of talent over there. And Romeo, I feel like he was turning the program around. My last year there in 2007, we went 10-6. and six. We missed the playoffs by a game. We didn't win an AFC game that could have catapulted us and, and put us in the seat to be in the playoffs. But that next year, they traded me. They were getting rid of players that helped get us to that point. And like the GM... And the coaches weren't on the same page. But I feel like like you named a lot of uh, great players. I mean, we had Kellen Winslow Jr., Braylon Edwards, Derek Anderson on the offensive end, Josh Cribbs. We had a stacked team, in my opinion. Had a, a really good defense, really good offense. And I feel like if they would have kept some of those pieces there, we could have done some really good things there. But they kind of blew it up. The GM did. And it was business at the end of the day. You realize that when you get into the NFL. And it's crazy. It's like they don't even want to win games. It's about the dollar. Getting guys cheap or whatever it is or not paying guys or whatever. We'd have kept that team. We'd have really did some really good things, I think. Now, Lee, you kind of had a strain of odd luck, we'll say. You went from Cleveland, who was 10-6, and six, as you had mentioned, and then you go to the 0-16 lines. Right. Sure after that year, you had a lot of headaches. And then the next year, you go to New England and stumble upon the Belichick way, and Brady's there, Randy Moss. What was the biggest difference between going to New England and everywhere else? The biggest difference was they knew what they wanted. I would say I would go back to Cleveland because Romeo Cornell was there in New England for some championships. Uh, So he knew what it took. But again, he was just getting there. So just solidifying who he was as a coach and what that organization was doing. Again, he got there in 05, 06, 07. So that was 
three years and they might have let him go fourth or fifth year to answer your question what was different was they just the expectations of what everything was was already solidified you were just going into a machine what belichick built you hear the patriot way and it's really the patriot way is the expectations are hey let's win a division go into the playoffs win a division and make it to the super bowl and everybody the energy the work ethic the way everybody was team oriented evident ever since you walked in a locker room where it was different in Detroit and in Cleveland again I was a, a young guy and then we had Butch Davis was the coach then transferred over to Romeo Cornell you kind of got a bit of, of both different type of organizations different type of things that coaches wanted to do but I felt like I got a little bit of taste of what New England was with Romeo Cornell but it's hard when you're just getting there trying to start fresh Belichick had it already for a number of years so it was just an easy transition and Again, it was a happy one to go from 0-16 to a team that's making a playoffs automatically. Now, Lee, you play a cornerback position, and the corner position has really developed in the NFL. Jarrell Revis, and you talk about Cromartie, and, and you talk about some of the greats that you played with, and the growth of the cornerback position. When you look at the game and how it's transitioned from the offensive side of the ball with the wide receivers, and do you think it's harder now to play as a <laughs> corner in the NFL than it ever has been? Absolutely. Even the times where we played, like you said, you name it, it was Darrell Revis and Cromartie's. It was difficult because uh, I could tell you, it was times where I feel like, okay, you got five yards to jam a guy. I remember I jammed a guy like twice in five yards and a ref told me, he was like, you can't do that. <laughs> because what I did was I jammed him, took my hand off of him and then jammed him again. He was like, once you jam him, you got to stay on him. He was like, next time that's a penalty. I was like, what? <laughs> but pass interference, hitting defenseless receivers, you're getting fined, you're getting penalized, but it's, you're making football plays. It's so difficult throwing back shoulders. They're protecting the quarterback. So the quarterback's getting a lot of time in a pocket. Sometimes guys don't want to hit them certain ways. And that's given these quarterbacks, obviously they're in the NFL for a reason. And if they have no pressure and, and not worrying about getting hit or anything, they're going to put these things on a dime. And it's tough to uh, be able to play these back shoulders and you can't touch guys. They're going to call a lot of interference calls. So it's definitely tough tougher now, again, as it's becoming more and more offensive game to play the defensive back position. So in your career, who was the toughest wide receiver you say that you've had to guard? <laughs> there are a lot of ones in your division too, it's, the Bengals and the yeah, Steelers. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot. Again, Ocho Cinco is always top on the list. Obviously, I had to see him twice a year and he runs some of the best like comebacks you'll ever see because, I mean, you don't know if he's running a goal or he's running a comeback. I tell people this all the time. Two people, when I went to Detroit, Roy Williams, he asked me, man, damn, you know about Chad's routes. He was like, man, how do you guard that? And then going to New England, I don't know if you guys remember, Ocho Cinco played in New England yep. for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tom, he was talking to me on the sideline one time. He was like, man, Chad, his comebacks are crazy. Anytime we call a comeback to him, I'm going to throw it to him because, you know, he's usually open on those. So I would say him. Obviously, Randy Moss, one of the greats of all times. Andre Johnson is one of the ones, too. I played him maybe like three times in all tough battles with him. Marvin Harrison, he's just so shifty. And Mark Clayton, too. Derek Mason, those guys from Baltimore. Those guys were tough. It's a long list of people. But I, I would say, again, Ocho was, was one of the toughest. Randy and Andre Johnson, man, I can, again, keep going on and on. There were some tough guys. <laughs> that I played against, but Lee, held my own though and got Lee, a lot of respect from every last one of those receivers that I named on and off the field. 
Absolutely, absolutely. You had a great career. Yeah, you definitely yeah, held I mean, your own out there on the uh, corner of the field. Now, I'm going to ask something, a little curveball for you here since you mentioned <laughs> county executive. The NFL now, we see that they're adding games and subtracting preseason games. They're adding on now another week. There's rumors they want 20 weeks and that mm. they kind of want to expand the playoff format. As somebody that's trying to get into the political field here, how do you think the NFLPA should handle what the players are going to ask for, obviously, when the longer seasons continue? If I'm the president, I'm asking for everything, any and everything, because, again, you're putting these guys, their careers on the line. You're pushing it more and more, their bodies. 16 games was already a long season. Trust me, I, I've been there. But even, again, those preseason and training camps were grueling, too. Those are already tough weeks. But then to add it to weeks where it's going to be hyper-competitive and super-competitive, we know injuries happen all the time, and that's just increasing the injuries. And so these are people's livelihoods. This is people that are going to have problems after football, and how are you going to help them after football? But I would say help them during football and after football. And I would just play hardball until they get exactly what they want. And don't back down because, like I always said, without the players, it's no league. You should be able to get what you want, whatever you want. And that's anything. The consumers are always the boss. If we stop going to Walmart, they not going to have no money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if the players stop going to the games, the NFL not going to have the product and any money. They do get revenue from the TV deal. That's why they kind of don't care. But still... I mean, people are going to be pissed off if they don't see no football. The players should hold out and get whatever they want. Maximum dollars, maximum protection for medical. And I feel like they got to play hardball with the league. I tell you what, Gene Upshaw, I don't know if y'all know Gene Upshaw. Mm -hmm. He used to be the president of the NFLPA, and that's how he was. He would come talk to us, and he would say what wasn't going to happen and what was going to happen. Man, And to be honest, when he died, they were in bargaining agreement when he died, and then they stopped once he died. And the things that Gene Upshaw said we weren't going to do as players, as a union, when the new people came in, we did exactly what he didn't want to do. And so... I think the players got to get back to taking control. I mean, you see the NBA, their players association is a little different than the NFL's. You know, the players really play hardball with them. And I think it's time for the NFL players to play hardball with the NFL. We went through a little bit of your career. Let's go to the playoffs right now. And okay. the wild card games were this past week. A lot of craziness. Nobody would have thought that four of the six games were going to be blowouts. Kyler Murray showed that he was a rookie. Matthew right. Stafford showed everybody that he could play in the playoffs. He's not just a regular season quarterback. What really stuck out to you in the first week of the playoffs, the wild card games? Was it the Cowboys in that ridiculous play call at the end of the game? What really stood out to you that either bothered you or you just see the transition of the game just changing? What stood out to me was Tom Brady. I hate to say it, you know, and be cliche. He's just a masterful artist when it comes to football, man. And it just shows his dominance. And I feel like they're the team to beat. We talk about Green Bay, obviously the number one seed, but it's just so crazy that, again, Tom Brady is doing what he's doing and has an opportunity to go back to back with how they are playing right now. But again, Dallas is Dallas, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't really... Don't um, say that to any of the Dallas fans. They're going to have a heart attack. And Dallas season ticket holders. <laughs> Listen, I, I have a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans because I, I'm here in the Washington, D.C. area. And it's either the Washington football team or the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. And I had to check up on them <laughs> after the game. To me, that's what stood out, man. I hate to kind of be cliche, but it's dumbfounded that this guy has the possibility of doing back-to-back. -back. How old is he? 40? 40, 44. 
Gonna be 44 45, years yeah. old. To me, that stands out. But obviously, we got another week to go. I don't see blowouts, but you never know, man. I want to go back to when you were with the Patriots. Bill Belichick's never thought of as somebody that speaks a lot when he's in the press conferences and all that, but seems to be a very interesting guy off the field sometimes from what we've heard. What is the most interesting thing that you found out out of Bill Belichick behind the scenes? And what is the most interesting thing he said to you? Behind the scenes, he's just a, a normal guy. He comes down to Maryland a lot because lacrosse, I think his daughter plays lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just how much of a person he is. Because even me playing in the NFL, you see him and the aura of him kind of looks mystique and like, you know, he's not a human. But then you sit across from him in his office and he's just talking regular. And he has a sense of humor, man. And I, I tell people that all the time. It's, it's a little dry. But it's funny, you know, and and he'll do it for a little bit, but it's right back to business when it's time to play on the field. But one of the things that was interesting to me of just about talking to me, like he knew a lot about me before I signed. I'm there in his office and he knew my background, me being from Maryland. He brought that connection there. And again, him liking how I play. It's crazy to hear that from one of the best coaches out there and him telling me I was the best corner on the team at one point in 2009. He benched me (laughs) one game and then I was like, man, Bill, what you benched me for? They put up a film together about some plays, good and bad, and then him and I watched it. He was like, well, I'm glad we watched this. You won our best corners. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? Did you not believe that or think that already? The confidence that he had in me and and showed in me and, and letting me know that I was a good player. That's always good to hear when you're a player and and hear that from your head coach. I do have to say, going back to that, the blowout by Buffalo was like, that was crazy to me. I didn't foresee that. I thought Buffalo had the edge Mm -hmm. against them, but man, I did not believe that, you know, that one would be a blowout. This isn't the first time this has happened. And and Bill Belichick, after what happened in the regular season and how really the first game, the Patriots completely dominated, even though it was a cold game. It wasn't a a fun game to watch, but then Buffalo won in New England and everybody was talking about this game. Buffalo really wanted to come out and they wanted to come out to prove that they were the better team. And they did that. Right. And they did that. And and see me just knowing Bill, I felt like, okay, he would, you know, devise something to be able to stop them or at least slow the Buffalo Bills. Allen just proved and showed that he's just a different animal because he can use his legs. He can get out the pocket. He's just a great quarterback in the pocket as well. So he's a tough got to face. I'd feel reminisced if we didn't ask for your Super Bowl prediction being that it is not going to be too far from now. And we are getting narrowed down with the teams. We here. all know who he's going to pick. He's going to pick Tampa and Tom Brady. We well, know that. Tom Brady's got to play somebody. <laughs> Listen, that's one thing I cannot bet against Tom. You just can't do it. Todd Bowles, that was my defensive back coach in Cleveland. He was uh, the assistant defensive back coach when I was there in Cleveland. And he's a great mind as far as defense. Bruce Arians, he was actually offensive coordinator in Cleveland as well. So oh, wow, uh, you got some roots down there in Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah, some roots. So they need another corner down there. He wants to do legislation. He wants to I'm do t- political stuff. He doesn't want that anymore. Nah, yeah, I'm too old. I'm too old, man. I can't do that. But no, so I, I feel like that their defense is well coached. And again, they have Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich, which is a good coach as well, calling great plays. And it's not just Tom. Even though he's obviously on the field, it's everybody that's helping him around. And then, I mean, again, just what I just said, man, I feel like Buffalo. (laughs) Wow, you got Buffalo, huh? I'm reaching with Buffalo Mm -hmm. because Josh Allen, last year they they got out prematurely. His maturity showed, again, not only can he do it in a regular season, but now doing it in the playoffs against, again, a a well-coached team. Mm -hmm. 
with Bill Belichick, Josh Allen, and their defense is solid. So, and well coached. So, I would say those two teams. So, he's got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl. I so agree with one of them. There you go. Well, you got Tampa because you're. No, no, I don't no have Tampa. he had Bills 49ers at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah Bills, I had Bills San Francisco months ago. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Browns, Lions, and Patriots corner Lee Bodden. I am a Jet fan. You were there when the butt fumble happened with Mark Sanchez. Do you remember that? Is that something that really stuck out to you in your career <laughs> when you had the experience to watch what Mark Sanchez did as a New York Jet? It didn't stick out to me like in the game, but obviously <laughs> afterwards, you know, everybody's talking about it. And so it looks crazy. You could probably find a few plays like that, but, you know, they highlighted it because New York media, Mark Sanchez did turn the ball over uh, quite a bit. You had an interception in that game. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but he's going down in history for that. He'll never live that down because, again, I mean, the media just played it over and over and over. But, again, I mean, it's a routine, like, running into your guy. Well, I wouldn't say routine, but you know, <laughs> <a> routine. <laughs> but those type of things do happen. Yeah. And, and sometimes that causes it, but... Again, it's highlighted because it was Mark Sanchez. That is the New York media. He did have a lot of turnovers in that stretch. So, and it was a game to where it compiled. You know what I mean? It compiled. It a- I hate to say this. I'm a Jet fan. Every time the Patriots play the Jets, uh, a.k.a. we all know what Sam Donald said, saying that he saw ghosts. It seems like every time the Jets play the Patriots in New England, there's something that happens. <laughs> that butt fumbles. I mean, Mark Sanchez won four away games in the playoffs, right. and the first thing they remember is the butt fumble. That's all they <laughs> care about is that night. And you had an interception. You were a big part of that game. You were one of the big players of that game. Lee, I call yeah, that game the see, Paranormal Patriots. But like you said, I mean, he won some playoff games. I think they were in the – AFC championship game. Yeah. He did what he needs to do for that team. But a lot of times, again, that's going to be in a lot of people's minds, like Jets' minds, because, again, the media played it a lot. And it happens, so you can't erase it. But Don't tell that to Rex Ryan, because he had a tattoo of him on his leg. And eventually, <laughs> uh, I think recently, he just got it removed. So Really? Yeah, yeah that's I what I heard. That. That's what I heard. Yeah, he just recently got it removed. But... I always feel bad for Brandon Moore, because he was a good guard. And I, I always just re- get remembered for being the guy he ran into. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He has exactly. a big butt, too. He I know. And he was a good guard, too. And I always feel bad for him. <laughs> yeah, that's why he couldn't get out of the way, man. Sanchez, he wasn't that mobile. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways, Lee, uh, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Oh, man, everything Lee Bodden. At Lee Bodden. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Lee Bodden. And again, man, I appreciate you, Loudmouths. Man, if y'all want to have me again, man, I, I would love to talk, you know, more playoffs. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, great. it's a great show, man. Thank you so much. And we would love to get you on again. We'd love to talk more football with Finally, you. Finally, somebody salutes back. I do that to everybody no one ever freaking acknowledges it thank you thank you yeah no problem man you the man man and, and good you, luck man. in there the way you're going with your politics and everything like that because i think they with everything going on in the world they need good people in office trying to help people there's there's so much craziness that's going on right now in the world with everything that's gone on we all have to stick together because we're a country we absolutely and that's really why i'm doing it because politics a lot of times they don't care about the people i feel like the people again that's why they elect someone to be their representative and they need a representative that's going to you know look back out for them and so that's really what I want to do because things haven't been different from when I grew up so I want to be able to change that hopefully I can you know succeed if not I still help out my community everywhere I uh, possibly can that's wonderful if you need a campaign mantra to go by you could do leadership with the way you spell your first name (laughs) (laughs) I do put my first name in, in a lot of things like that so 
Man, I might do that. I appreciate that. Man, that's a good, that's a good idea. Speedy. That's a good that's idea. A, that's yeah. an NFT for you right there. Right. NFT. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Lee, thank you for joining us. We'll definitely get you on again. You're awesome. Thank you so much. You guys, I appreciate it. Speedy, Lee Bodden, he was unbelievable. Great interview. Personality could bright up a room. And now he's going to be a politician. So he lives out in Washington. Unbelievable guy. We're looking to get him on the show again. And and Tyler, thank you for joining us in the interview as well. True leadership. Absolutely. When you look at a guy like Lee Bodden and what he has and, and what he's become on and off the field, it's an amazing story when you know a guy after his career is trying to help the world to a better place. So thank you, Lee, for joining us. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the division. Divisional games, football, the New York Giants introducing their new GM, and much, much more here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy. I need to find an underwear PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This segment is also brought to you by Sports Betting. You can check out our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Guys from 103.9 asked me to add a betting line, a betting segment. Well, why not go to the best as we are going to introduce the New guy that's going to be leading this segment, Chaz from San Diego and his team. So we're going to call this segment Sports Betting Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chaz, what's going on, man? No, you know what? It's always exciting this time of year because we're talking about a couple games on Sunday, and these are four good football teams. You know, guys, you're in Jets territory and Giants territory. There are some weeks that of the 16 games, you know, eight of them are horrible. If you talk about the New York Jets and the New York Giants, they're probably done playing golf. It's pathetic football over here in New York. So why not go to some of the top half of the league? Let's go in to the LA Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Where do you see this game and tell us why? As you move through the playoffs, you start seeing teams that have played against each other. Sometimes, if they're in the same division, this is the third time they've played. So those games, if you're looking at something that jumps out of you, the previous matches sometimes work. The problem with the Rams is they play Tampa really, really early in the year. Anything that's happened two months. Think about it. Can you even remember what happened in your life two months ago? Never mind <laughs> the Rams and, and Tampa Bay. So you got to look at what's happened more recently with these teams. There's one problem, guys. There's a quarterback on that team that just won his first playoff game. And there's a quarterback on the other team that's got like 39 of them mm-hmm. and like 11 rings or whatever sick number he has. It's hard for me personally to think that the Rams are going to win this game. But winning the game gets you to play next week, right? Mm-hmm. Winning the game doesn't necessarily win you money right. if there's a point spread. Are you looking to bet the, the best team? Are you looking for opportunities? No, I bet a little differently. So I, I look at the first quarter. I look at the first half. I look at the second half. I break the game up into segments. And I say, based on what I know about these teams. So an example, if somebody has done something 11 straight times. Say somebody at work steals your sandwich out of the fridge 11 straight times. On the 12th time, if you put the sandwich in the fridge, you're an idiot, basically. These teams do the same thing. So you look at the Rams in the second half. 
They scored 13, 7, 13, 17, 17, 17, 21, and 11. So that means in seven of their last eight second halves overall to end the season, and that includes a playoff game against Arizona, they're scoring double-digit points. So that's the kind of stuff that I look for because I'm not a fan of any team. People ask me, who's your favorite team? My favorite team is the team I got my $10 on. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so I don't care if they win the game. I want to cash tickets. And that's what we do. If you're at the sports book now, what's the nicest one in New York? DraftKings okay. has become the most uh, likable and priority for all the New York fans ever since it became legalized a week and a half ago. DraftKings, FanDuel, I think offered $300 for a new guy. The issue is that's all the mobile. 90% of it's mobile. But the best part of legalized sports betting, guys, is the two you be able to go out and grab a seat and a beer and watch a game mm. and go and cash your tickets right then and there. They give you the money. So you give them money, they give you paper, you go back later, you give them paper, they give you more money. That's the beauty of it. And so that's why we want to cash tickets and we want to make sure that if you're paying attention during this 15 minutes of us talking, you're going to cash some tickets. When I look at this game, the first quarter, I'm seeing two teams that are going to just kind of spar each other out. But if you look at the Rams, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their last eight first quarters have gone under the number. They've given up one touchdown in their last eight games. So both teams tend to, to come out slow, but then if if they pick it up a little, who do you think is more comfortable? The Rams on the road or Tampa Bay at home? Sometimes, guys, you don't have to be a sports betting guru to, to use common sense. I'm going to be live on a Tampa Bay parlay because I had him with Green Bay. And Green Bay and Tampa Bay are the two best teams, and they're the two teams that are going to win. I'm going Tampa Bay, and I'm betting Tampa Bay in the over. The reason I'm going with the over is part of what I mentioned. The Rams are going to give up some points. They score some points. The problem is the Rams really, they're playing a little better, but there's still that mix of all those guys trying to buy a championship. I think it ends tomorrow. I would say the same, and Tampa is the home team. Nobody's going to bet against Tom Brady. When you look at the money line and the point spread, does favor the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being that they're home and being that they have arguably the greatest quarterback in the playoffs. I'm going to go with the Rams in this game. I know everybody keeps saying, well, they bought their team. Matthew Stafford, this is what, his fourth game in the playoffs? And this is the first time he actually won a playoff game. But I like what they're doing. I like how they're running the ball. And I like what they did last week against the Arizona Cardinals where everybody thought the Arizona Cardinals were going to blow them out of the water. So I got Los Angeles in this game. I think they're going to win this game. And again, there's no reason for me to argue with the logic. The Rams are a very, very good team. Yes. How could you not be happy for Matt Stafford? That Ford family thinks they should lose their cars. They should lose (laughs) the franchise. They're just terrible. The ownership in the NFL, there's a handful of owners that are just really, really bad owners and their teams show it. But what I'm looking at is the playoff data that we have. So we have these easy sports data that goes back to 2012. But you don't need that to look at Brady's Tampa Bay record. As the quarterback for Tampa Bay, his last five playoff games, he scored 31 points, 31 points, 31 points, 30 points, and 31 points. You don't even need a statistician to tell you the the deviation or the mean. I mean, the bottom line is you got to say to yourself, are the Rams going to stop? Tom Brady, when nobody else could, for scoring 31 points. And can the Rams score more than 31 points? And if you answer yes, you bet the Rams. If you answer no, you bet Tampa Bay. Chaz, i got a question for you. The line right now with total points in the game is 47.5. Do you think this game is over or under on that? 
Well, no, I, I told you I am going with Tampa Bay in the over. Okay. I will have it parlayed with the Green Bay over winner from today. The best part of the reason I'm doing that is because I'm assuming if Brady's done it five times in a row, he's going to do it six times in a row. I, you've heard me do the trash analogy. I had kids. Right? If I could get my kids to take out the trash five times in a row, it was a good, it was a good month, you know? All right. The last game of the weekend, as everybody knows, we're a Saturday show, so we're not going to do the Saturday game. So why don't we go Buffalo, Kansas City. What do you got? The money line is plus 105 for Buffalo. Point spread plus 1.5 for Buffalo and 54.5 total points. Where do you go in this game? My opinion of this game changed dramatically after watching Josh Allen's performance last week. Because it was, I said, it was like when the uncle, the young uncle, at the family picnic, the family reunion picnic, plays with the kids, and he just, he rumbles and stumbles. He was a high school star. Maybe he didn't make it in college, whatever. Bouncing off of people. So impressive that how could you not want to see him continue to play? But he's going to Kansas City. And the home field advantage in the playoffs is magnified. Think about any of those teams that travel well. Pittsburgh's a fine example. When they go to certain stadiums, they can't get their tickets unless they really spend the money because those people will not sell tickets. Blackhawk West from 151 Sports Investing, he'll be on our show down the road. He is a season ticket holder, but he sold his ticket for this game because he went last week, sold his ticket this week, paid for his whole season of tickets, <laughs> and they'll go again if they win the AFC Championship. But he didn't sell it to a Buffalo fan. They're not going to do that. So that home field advantage is huge. And where it's normally three points, I would say in the playoffs, it could be probably more four or four and a half points. So when you look at the point spread, that's kind of right where it is, right? Yep. Blackhawk West is banking on the Bengals then. (laughs) And what he said is they lose the Buffalo. He didn't miss anything. He took the money. But he would definitely go to them playing Cincinnati. So here's some of the things that jumped out at me. In the first quarter, it's the only quarter of these four games that I did not pick Kansas City had a string where they won like 10 in a row in the first quarter. But Buffalo ended the season in their last five games, including that playoff game, they allowed two points in five games in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. So that's five times 15, right? That's 75 minutes of football. They allowed two points. If you like Kansas City, it's kind of hard to bet against a team that allows two points. But in the first half, Kansas City scores a lot of points. But remember how much live action I do. If you see our shows on your network on Thursdays, the first thing we do is put bets in. Hopefully they're going to cash before the show ends. Thursday night, two of them did right away. Boom, boom. We got two goals in one of the games and cashed two tickets. But I'm going to sit and and pay attention very much for this game for the over because I like the over. But if I can get a first quarter under what will happen is in live action that over is going to tick down and if it ticks down three four points that's a lot in a game a guy misses a field goal and you lose but because i bet it later and i got the lower number say i got it at 49 instead of 55 i win you bet the same thing i did i just bet it at a different number and you really got to look for your numbers in these playoff games because the, all these lines are tight. Chiefs usually start slow, too, so first quarter under might be good for that game. Yeah. Well, Green Bay, we talked about it on show, Green Bay had a horrible year yeah. in the first quarter, but a great year in the first half. So what we started to do is wait till about the number. You just watch the number. If you have a legal sports betting account, you're in a good spot. If you don't, get one because betting from your phone is the best thing ever. Of course. The second thing is, if you're not doing live action, stop and start paying attention to live action. Live action could, a lot of times, help you correct a mistake that you've made in your wagering. You thought something was going to happen. And live action, remember what we talk about. Anything that you bet up to the kickoff, 
is based on what you saw in the past. You saw something, you know something, you thought something, whatever it was, the, the offensive line or the coaching or the weather, whatever it was. But live action, guys, is what's happening. It's what's really happening. And it allows you to really make a difference. And, and most of these playoff games, I will be by my phone or by my computer if I'm at home, and I will be paying attention to the numbers. I have in my head numbers. Like for this number, it's 49. If I can get this over to 49 by being patient early in the game, wouldn't you rather have 49 than 54? Absolutely. I like Buffalo in this game on the money line plus 105. They have the momentum going in this game. I know Kansas City demolished the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who wouldn't have thought that Pittsburgh was going to win that game? Buffalo played the better of the teams. They knocked off the Patriots, a very good defensive team, very good running team. Now, Kansas City is not a good running team, and Kansas City throughout the season had problems stopping the run. I think Buffalo, even with Moss and Singletary, I still think they can still run the ball more sufficient and efficient than Kansas City. Well, what percentage of their running offense, their total yards, is quarterback-driven? It's not as much as the Baltimore guy, but it's a lot. Yes. Allen's the second-leading rusher on the team. And the way he runs, he's smart. Sometimes you see quarterbacks that they're they're afraid to run. They're afraid to run. They're afraid to run, and then they throw it out of bounds. This dude makes decisions quickly. And when he does, and he's rumbling, especially if you're a defensive back or a linebacker who's in coverage and you have turned your back so he can see the numbers on your back, you're in trouble. I agree with you, and I think Josh Allen is going to be a big part, especially running the ball in this game. It's going to be very cold in Kansas City. I don't know if there's going to be any snow on the ground, but it's going to be a fun game to watch. And also, Kansas City Arrowhead, who doesn't like that stadium? Who doesn't like the fans? I'm probably going to try to go there next year because he's always treated me. My son went there to a game. They treated him to the Bud Tent because he's a season ticket holder. It's supposedly the number one environment in all of professional football, American football, of course. So let me give you my play. So in the first quarter, I told you I'm doing nothing. In the first half, I'm betting Kansas City. But in the second half and for the game, I'll be on the over. So if Buffalo wins, God bless them, as long as they score enough points. I don't care who wins. I care about Chaz's bankroll. I care about how many tickets you cash if you listen to me. We have this data that tells us this is what they've done in the past. That helps, but it doesn't matter once the kickoff. you got to pay attention. Most people don't. What do you think? I would say 90% of the betting public makes their bets and watches the game. I have the game going over, but I have Kansas City leading at halftime. Who do you think wins this game? I wouldn't bet against Kansas City at home. Fans, every single week, we're going to have Chaz and the crew. We're going to call this segment... Money line mania. Chaz is going to give you his distinct thoughts on every single game. Each one of these handicappers are going to pick a game. Not necessarily football. It could be college basketball. It could be when baseball comes in, baseball, hockey, whatever games they're sure to for you guys to make a bet on. They're going to pick their games. They're going to give you the, the spread, the line, and where they think that you should go, where you have an opportunity to win. Chaz, thank you for joining us, bud. Yeah, I'll always be cashing. Absolutely. Chaz, the sports betting show, they've been on our network for the last past year. They're great. And if you guys haven't checked them out, check them out every single Thursday, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. They have some of the best handicappers in the country where they're going to go the ins and the outs of certain games and tell you why they're going to go with the team, why you're going to bet the half a quarter or period when it comes to hockey. So these guys are the best of the best. And Chaz, he's the leader of that show. And his crew is some of the best in the whole country, in the whole world. So we're going to have them come on our network and on this show every single week and give you their thoughts 
on betting on the line. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into more football here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy. I want some Minute Maid Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app if you haven't checked it out. Well, you better do that, ladies and gentlemen, because we have great shows, great stories, and we have a lot of ways you can make money with sports betting. So definitely check out our website as well. But on our iOS, Apple, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, we have great shows throughout the, uh, throughout the week, throughout the country. We really pride on what we do here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And, and very happy to be here to be the voices of Long Island sports and f- throughout the country. So thank you to all, all the fans that keep tuning into us every single Saturday. But when we sit back and we talk about the New York Giants, we talk about how, believe it or not, this team has been a mockery since 2011. This team has not been the team that we remember with Tom Coughlin and, and what this defense was really built around. Defense, getting to the quarterback, Michael Strahan, O.C. Uminor, Justin Tuck. We don't see those guys anymore. And over the last couple of years, when you look at the Giants draft classes, and they weren't bad, but they weren't draft classes like the Jets did last year where they stand out, where you have players that could be future all-pro players. They've brought in free agents, Kenny Galladay being one of them, who has done nothing in the NFL. He had 21 touchdowns and 3,000 some-odd yards in his career before he gets his big contract from the Giants, where I don't believe he deserves it. He's more of a number two than a number one. And you talk about what Dave Gettleman has brought to this organization when he was here for the five, six years he was here. What he's brought is dysfunction. When I look at dysfunction, I wouldn't think of the Giants here in New York. You usually think uh, the Jets. I'm a Jet fan. So, you know, over the years, we've heard a clown organization, Rex Ryan. They, they put clown outfits on Rex Ryan. And, and then we brought in guys like Todd Bowles and, and all the different coaches we brought in over the years. Adam Gase being another one. The clown outfits have now transitioned to Jaguars fans. Absolutely. But the real mockery and the real joke of the New York football sports is the Giants, not the Jets, and obviously not Buffalo. When you look at the Giants, their understanding of finding talent in the draft has been horrible. You look at where they've been picking in the draft over the years, and and you say, why would you go with this guy when you could have gotten that guy? Why would you go with that guy when you could get that guy? This team has been riddled with injuries, no question, with Saquon Barkley, but they should have never drafted Saquon Barkley. You don't draft a running back in the top three picks when you're not ready to win. You just don't do that. You don't build your team and your whole offense around a running back. And the Giants, over the last couple of years, have done it backwards, not moving forwards. And that has a lot to do with the GM. So what happened on Friday? They finally are are going to introduce their GM, and his name is... Joe Shane, who is the assistant GM for the Bills and helped the Bills build this team and and where this team is for the last four years, where the the Bills over the, I would say, the last seven, eight years, and you can ask the Bills fans. They had Rex Ryan, too. (laughs) This team was a complete debacle. They didn't know where they were going and where they were moving forward to. And then finally, 
they bring in the right GM. They bring in the right coaching staff. And now they're finally uh, two wins away from going to the Super Bowl. It's incredible when you talk about from what one team could become in a four-year span. Yeah, you have to draft the right quarterback. Yeah, you have to get the right coaches in and the right pieces in to win. But it's extraordinary when you look at being that you're an assistant GM of this team, and a lot of people have spoken very highly of this guy and what he has done for the Buffalo Bills. He has been the the back end of the draft. He's helped with the back end of the draft and where where the, the Buffalo Bills have drafted in the, and he was one of the reasons why they drafted Josh Allen. It's an incredible thing when you look at all the, the candidates and they chose the younger one. The Giants need a GM that I believe needs to grow in a position, but also a smart young guy that understands how and what to look for in a draft. And I think moving forward, the Giants need to start doing what the Jets are doing. Build around the draft speed. I think the Bills... The fact that they built their team mostly homegrown is a good sign for somebody like Joe Shane that he's really been able to develop the homegrown talent more. The Bills aren't like a team like the Chiefs and the Titans that have given out big contracts to a lot of these players. The Bills really don't have many of them. Josh Allen, they just paid a lot of money to. But beyond that, their their contracts are all pretty good. And that's the kind of thing the Giants need because the Giants are so cash-strapped as it is. They need their own dose of homegrown talent. I loved the Bills 2018 draft at the time. I like their 2019 draft, the way they were able to build their team. There are a lot of guests on our show saying that the Bills had one of the best drafts in 2020 in the pandemic year. So you definitely could see how they're really good at one, filling in their holes that they need to, like they did this year with, uh, like they did in years past with the wide receiver, like they did this year with their pass rush. They know what they need at any given time, and they're good at finding scheme fits. You were talking about Rex Ryan, the way he came to Buffalo and essentially ruined a lot of those defensive players over there that were more built for a 4-3 attacking defense. Then Sean McDermott comes in and rebirths a lot of those guys, brings in some of his old guys too from Carolina, but still helped get those veterans back. Now they stuck to the process and really built it young. They didn't deviate just because they had that one 9-7 playoff year with Tyrod Taylor. They didn't say, all right, we're going to all of a sudden try to spend money and go for free agency. No, they stuck to their process, and now they're building a sustainable, successful team that, yes, they haven't gotten to a Super Bowl yet. They weren't to the AFC Championship last year, but they're progressing nicely. And the Giants need something like that because right now they're stuck with all these bad contracts. So they need somebody that can find talent, homegrown, and really great bringing a good identity. And right now, the Giants need to find that identity. And what the Jets have done over the last couple of years with, obviously, Joe Douglas and now Robert Soller is they're the youngest team in the NFL. They've built around the draft, and they're going to continue doing that. And when a player of the magnitude that fits their offense or their defense in free agency, they could bring that guy in on a good price and a good contract, which Joe Douglas over the last couple of years have done. Now, I'll say this about Joe Douglas. He's been very good in the draft. He's been horrible at free agency. So maybe that's the way these teams need to go, these New York teams need to go, is go through the draft, build around the draft, and if there's a player, a one player or two players that you're missing that can help your team get to that next level, then you make that move. Spending your money and throwing money away the way the Giants have over the last couple of years, again, with Leonard Williams. Listen, Leonard Williams is a good player. He is. He's a good player. But Ramsey's not even going to be there next year. Are they going to run the 4-3 that they've been running over the last couple of years? Probably not. Yeah, the only way I can see Ramsey being there next year is if Brian Flores becomes the head coach just because they both have the Miami ties. Absolutely. And maybe Brian Flores is the next guy to be the next head coach of the New York Giants. And it's crazy to say that 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 will be another Bill Belichick's disciple taking over this team. Now, 
Joe Judge, I think he was mistreated at the end of his career. I really do. I, I don't think he works very well with the press. We expected that. He's a Bill Belichick guy. And Brian Flores is more better working with the press because his personality fits. And he's from Brooklyn. He's from New York. And that's why John Mara wanted to reach out on his own to talk to Brian Flores before he comes in and talks to Joe Shane. But a lot of people believe bringing in Joe Shane, it means they might look at Brian Dable, a guy that is also another Patriot disciple, a Bill Belichick disciple, to bring him in because he knows the culture that Joe Shane wants to bring in because he's been a part of that culture for the last couple of years. So it's crazy. If it's Brian Flores and Brian Dable to be your top candidates, those are two very uh, worthy candidates to take over this team. The question is, when you look at Brian Flores, Why did Brian Flores get fired from his job? Now, obviously, he didn't get along with the GM. If he comes in with Joe Shane, is he going to get along with Joe Shane? Or if Joe Shane does something that he doesn't like, is he going to do the same thing he did to the Miami Dolphins and and start attacking the GM? The Giants don't want a coach that's going to come in and not mimic what they're trying to bring into the table. They've been a dysfunctional organization for the last couple of years. They need to bring in a good leader and good leadership to help this team move forward. And to me, if it's Brian Flores and Joe Shane, you stick to it and you make sure that they can work together. If it's obviously Brian Dable, which I think makes a lot more sense to go with Joe Shane, well, then the Giants need to go that route. But it seems like Brian Flores is on everybody's list, on the top of their list because of what he's done with Miami and why he shouldn't have gotten fired. Speedy, you're a Giant fan. Where do you see them going and why? Flores is the one I want the most. I think Dable will end up ultimately getting the job because I think Flores has so many other offers right now that I feel like other, he's going to go somewhere else first. Uh, we've, heard the, we've seen the Bears. We've seen the Broncos, the Texans. They might try to do a desperation overpay to get him because that team has no talent on that team. So they're going to they're going to try everything. But I think the biggest thing to look at is John Mara was really encouraged by wanting Brian Flores. And I was worried about that kind of thing, too, because I always thought John Mara was kind of like the problems with the Miami ownership, where their egos were getting in the way, their traditions were getting in the way. But it doesn't seem like that's kind of, that kind of thing is happening. So that might be a good step in terms of getting it. Like I said, I still think Dable will end up being the guy that they end up hiring, just because I think they're going to want to switch from a disciplinary uh, special teams, but also not as much control of the offense type team, to an offensive guy, a modern NFL type guy and we saw what Dable's done progressively year after year with Josh Allen now their balance of their offense because they lacked the running game and wasn't as good of an offensive line wasn't great in Buffalo this year but again I don't know how much you really blame that on Dable as much as the injuries and the personnel too so the Giants are bringing in somebody that has a more modern adjustment to the NFL which is something that they definitely need if they bring in Dable too so that kind of thing will connect well and if they have a good relationship that's going to help and as far as the Jets are concerned there are rumors coming out that the Jets are willing to trade that 10th or maybe even the 4th pick, trade down because they don't want to draft in the two top 10 picks because that could hurt their salary cap, right. uh, being that they're going to have close to $70 million if they draft two players in the top 10. That's $20 million a player that they're going to have to take off their cap right off the bat in the beginning of the year. So I don't know if that's what Joe Douglas wants. So there are a couple, quite a few teams that would probably want to trade up in the top 10. Uh, one of them, Philadelphia, that have uh, three picks in, in the teens, right. where maybe if they want to move up at four to get the player that they want, maybe the Jets get the 15th and 16th pick from the Philadelphia Eagles, and then they draft 10, 15, and 16, where they could get three prominent good players in the first round. And, and the last time the Jets had three first-round draft picks, 
I remember was the, if I'm not mistaken, the Mangle draft. Mangle, Ferguson, and uh, Keller. Two of them became uh, all pro, pro bowl players and obviously Hall of Famers. And the other one, if he stayed healthy, who knows where he would have been. So right. the Jets have done very well when they've drafted three players in the first round. I remember with Chad Pennington, with Bill Parcells, and, and Sean Ellis, and I forget the other guy. That I, think, yeah, I think it was Dwayne Robertson was the other interior lineman in yes. that draft. And, and that was pretty good, too, because Pennington, if he stayed healthy, could have been, who knows what he could have been. Uh, Sean Ellis was a very good defensive player. Dwayne Robertson, he was good, he too. He had a couple good years. Yeah, yeah, he was good, too. So they've drafted very well in the first round when they had three first-round draft picks. So Joe Douglas, so far in his two years as, as the GM, you know, picking in the draft, He's done well. I, I know everybody says uh, the year before it, it wasn't really that good. Well, you bring in a star line, a left tackle who everybody wants to trade away. I don't understand. We're going into the season. He yeah. was a top six le- a left tackle in league. And then trying people saying that you take Font over him. And I posted something up on social media that you're out of your mind when you look at the numbers when he played a full season. Right. He's played more games in the one season that George Font's played in two years. And regardless, I mean, you need two tackles anyway. So you're not going to trust any of your interior linemen to shift over to a tackle. Morgan Moses will be gone at the end of the year because he was on a one-year You don't even know if you're going to bring back Font because Font's going to want an extension and they might might decide, hey, if what's his name? Neil drops to them at four. If they're sitting at four, why wouldn't they draft Neil? Who can... Be another they can always the move inside. Font back inside too. They they, yeah. they have they have the leeway to they do that. They haven't done it yet, so I don't see them doing. No, it no, yet. no. I, I don't think they're. Gonna, I think that Joe Douglas is very patient. I don't think they're going to do it right away just because of that. In terms of the trade, the trade scenario, yeah, I could definitely see it happening too. Just because I think this draft, it seems like there's the consensus like five overall players. Maybe you throw in Lindenbaum there as the sixth guy that are being drafted. The three pass rushers, uh, Stingley and Neal, are kind of in that realm. But kind of after that, then you have a lot of interior linemen. You have the tackle cross. Maybe if you don't get Evan Neal, you have somebody, if you want an inside linebacker, like a Nicobe Dean that you could end up drafting in that spot if you trade back a little bit. There are definitely some options that the Jets have. The Jets have a lot of position flexibility because they have the money. They have the money and they have the draft stock. Right. Which they have the number one draft stock uh, when it comes to the list of points and everything like that. So mm-hmm. the Jets could trade out and, and trade out of picks. Uh, the second round, too, they got two second round draft picks. And why not trade if they decide to trade down at 10 and get a get a first round, they move down four spots and they get an extra second round. Then you have three second round picks where you can draft in the second right. round, which they haven't been good drafting drafting in the second round over the last couple of well, years. Well, the Panthers pick is pretty early, too. By the way, shout out to them for hiring Ben McAdoo as their offensive coordinator. Well, I, I, good rated Sam Darnold. I think Ben McAdoo do is a better offensive coordinator than coach, and and you well, saw. Well, that's not saying much. Well, again, Eli Manning had his best years when when Ben McAdoo was the offensive coordinator. So maybe he does help Sam Darnold. Maybe they think that he could figure it out. I don't think he's a coach, but if you keep him as the offensive coordinator, I know you make fun of him, but I think maybe that's the route they want to go. They want to help Sam Darnold figure out who he is and what his identity is on the field. And maybe Ben McAdoo is the guy. Ben McAdoo likes those running mobile quarterbacks, and Sam Darnold is a mobile quarterback. So. Uh, he he's not a mobile quarterback like obviously Lamar Jackson or Zach Wilson, but he's a no. guy that can he could do things in the open field that a lot of pocket quarterbacks can't. That's really where we're going with the Jets. And stay away from Calvin Ridley if you're going to give up a first round draft pick. There is no way where I'm going to be so ecstatic seeing that Calvin Ridley was traded for a, a, the tenth pick in the first round. That would be a catastrophe. So maybe Atlanta gives them their first round draft pick next year. And, and maybe their second round pick this year. I do that. I was thinking trading Mims and maybe a two or a three. 
Maybe that might get the job done. I don't trade for Calvin Ridley unless it, it's a fair trade. Giving up that 10th pick for Calvin Ridley, I wouldn't do that if I were the Jets. That You worked so hard and you got so lucky getting that from Seattle. Why would you give up a top 10 pick when you have an opportunity to get a lot more back for it? So that would be a big mistake for the New York Jets. And DK Metcalf, too. He's not worth a first-round draft pick. I'd rather stop have it. Ridley over Metcalf, yeah, too, because yeah, I think it. he's a little more steady. Yeah, stop it. I don't want to hear it. I've been hearing DK Metcalf's name all over. Now I'm hearing Philadelphia might be going after him. I think Philadelphia will end up getting Ridley because of the Alabama connections all over there. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will go into the divisional games here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need to comb my hair, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. With all the catastrophes and craziness going on around in the world, North Carolina got hit with snow. Who would have thought that North Carolina right now would be hit with snow? It's crazy. But I think it was the first time North Carolina had that much snow in almost five years. They didn't get a lot of snow. They got a couple inches. The world is just transitioning so weirdly. And we'll have... 18-degree weather, and then it will shoot up to 40-degree weather. Then we'll have 25-degree weather here in New York, and then it will shoot up to 50-degree weather. Can we stay at a strategic number? Seriously. God, give us a number! I'm wearing a big coat, long coat one day, and then I'm wearing a thin coat the next. And then as it gets colder and darker, it gets even colder. So it goes down like 20 degrees. Who would have figured that one out? That's uh, Mother Nature. Anyways, I wanted to get into the divisional games this week at 4.30 p.m. today, and I'm not going to tell the winner... I'm not going to give anybody the numbers or the winners. No spoilers for anyone no who's DVRing it. Yep. We're going to go through what we think is going to happen in the game and, and why we think it. And I, I think what we saw with Joe Burrow last week was the growth of a young quarterback that's going to be a superstar in this league. We understand who he is as a player. And to me, if you want to compare and contrast a young player to Tom Brady, Joe Burrow would be the guy. Uh, he He's a little bit cockier than Tom Brady. Sure. Um, he has that personality that you, you, you want to root for. I mean, those glasses at the end of the game at the press conference were perfect for who he is. They call him Joe Cool. But what we saw with the Bengals last week was a guy that slowly but surely showed you why he was a national champion a couple of years ago, why he won a Heisman Trophy, and why the Bengals speedy drafted him at number one. Yeah, you definitely saw the confidence in both him and Jamar Chase in this game, too. Sometimes it takes a while for these young quarterbacks to ease into the playoffs, and Joe Burrow looked like a veteran in this league. So, especially for the, a team like the Bengals that had all that playoff pressure with the drought, longest drought entering last week, 1991 was their last playoff win. Nah, no worries for them. They played an excellent game together, collectively. The Bengals as a whole played a pretty good game. I would say they had to improve in the red zone a little bit. That's going to be a big key because they were settling for field goals a lot against the Raiders. And the Titans also have a good front seven, so they're going to have to get that going. And can they get a little bit better of a running game? Because Joe Mixon wasn't great in that first game. And Tennessee can stop the 
run. The Raiders were not known to stop the run, so those are going to be the big adjustments for them. But their receivers against a Titans secondary that isn't great, it's okay, but it's it's not great, is definitely a matchup they're going to have to take advantage of. Burrow's going to have to spread the ball around well like he did against the Raiders to win this game. And Mixon's going to have to somehow be added into this game because last week he did not look like the Joe Mixon we saw all throughout the season. Jacobs played better than Mixon. What we see with the Cincinnati Bengals is it's going to lie and depend on the arm of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is going to have to win this game for them. You look at Tennessee over the last few years, their their weakness was their defense. Not this year. This has been one of their strengths. They've been so much better defensively. Their secondary, there is holes. And that's why... There is a good chance that Cincinnati is going to have to air the ball out. They're going to have to get the ball to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins or or Boyd. Those guys are going to have to be used. And if they double-team a guy like Jamar Chase, Boyd has been a really hitting commodity. He's going to have to play a big part of this offense if they plan to win. Now, Tennessee is going into the game. They're, they got Derrick Henry back, A.J. Brown back. They have a, a healthy Julio Jones. Now, I don't trust Ryan Tannehill, okay? I would take Joe Burrows any day over Ryan Tannehill. But if you compare and contrast both weapons, now Jamar Chase is a great player, but who who would you rather take, Speedy? Jamar Chase, who's a rookie, or A.J. Brown healthy? I'm taking A.J. Brown. Now, they haven't won anything with him, but again, I'm going to take the guy that's not the rookie. Then you have Boyd. Are you going to take Julio Jones or Boyd? You're going to take Julio Jones, a guy that's done it, who's been to a Super Bowl. He's not the same Julio Jones, but I would take Julio Jones over him or Higgins any day and any time. And then you look at the running backs. Mixon's a great running back. Some people will put him in the top five. Derrick Henry is arguably the best running back in all of football when healthy. Who would you rather there? You're going to want the beast of the man, Derrick Henry. Now, he could be at 85%. If he's at 85%, he's still better than most running backs in the NFL. And you know they're going to be feeding the beast the ball. Throughout this season, the Bengals, at certain points, were the better defense. At the end of the season, it's really been Tennessee. Tennessee, slowly but surely, showed you why in the last six games of the season – why they're a Super Bowl contender, Speedy. The Titans have the front seven to really make a difference because the Bengals' offensive line is not great. It's it's serviceable. It's decent, but it's not great. And the Titans' pass rush has been very good this year. Jeffrey Simmons, one of the best years among interior linemen. I thought they overpaid for Bud Dupree, but he's played well. Harold Landry's played well. And they have one of the best middle-of-the-field defenses when it comes to the linebackers and safeties that you can get. And Mike Vrabel has done a good job this year at taking out some other top receivers, too. So I think the game planning-wise, you're definitely going to see some double teams on Jamar Chase. He's been the best receiver when it comes to single coverage this year. So expect some double teams, except maybe some linebackers or safety to shadow him a lot of the time, and that will be the test for Burrow to spread out. When it comes to the Titans' offense, Cincinnati can stop the run. So Derrick Henry, I wouldn't expect him to have the 150, 200-yard games we've seen him have in the playoffs, too, especially coming off the injuries. But still, that doesn't mean don't use him. They're going to use him. And A.J. Brown, he's been a great receiver so far. He hasn't really shown it yet in the playoffs, but Julio Jones has. So if they key in more on Jones, can Brown take advantage of that, especially against a secondary that isn't great for the Bengals either outside of their two safeties. And right now, it's the fourth quarter in Green Bay. I'm not telling you. I'm not going to give you the alert of what the score is, but we're going to get into the San Francisco and Green Bay Packer game. San Francisco going into this game, they have nothing to lose. If they win, they're moving on to the NFC title game where nobody would have thought they were going to the NFC title game. A lot of people, including yours truly, thought the Cowboys were going to win that game, and I don't want to hear it was the referees' fault. Now, out of all the games last week, the referees were the worst in the Cowboys game. It was bad play calling at the end of the game, and that's why the Cowboys should be playing in, in the divisional series. But you look at San Francisco. Is Nick Bosa going to play this week? Who knows? The different 
targets and the different players that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to use in this game if they're going to beat Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. They need to run the ball in this game. They absolutely. But here's the problem with the San Francisco 49ers. Going into this game, they've got a tremendous amount of injuries on the running back end. They do. They have not one healthy running back. Now, all three of them are playing in this game. But that doesn't mean that all three of them are going to be a big part of this offense. Because they had a problem last week running the ball against the Cowboys. Now, going into Green Bay, it's going to be cold. It's going to be below zero. And it's going to be very, very loud. The fans are going to be crazy over there. Because this might be the last time you might see Aaron Rodgers in a Green Bay Packers uniform. And Aaron Rodgers, who I believe is the MVP of the NFL for a second year in a row, is has a lot to prove. And he wants to win his second Super Bowl because he wants to be compared with some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And if he wins this second championship, you can compare him with Tom Brady. You can compare him with Peyton Manning. Because even though Tom Brady has more championships, he has done it with less. There is more pressure, Speedy, on the Green Bay Packers and getting out of this divisional series than the 49ers. Absolutely, because the 49ers are the younger team. They have a lot of bad contract, but they're still the younger team, and they're still right now the better built one where, yeah, Aaron Rodgers could dart for somewhere else easily next offseason. So definitely all the pressure on the Packers. Which will probably happen. Yeah. In terms of certain matchups that I think they're, they're going to be very interesting, the biggest one I think is the Niners' secondary depth, especially with the corners versus the Packers' receiving depth. We always say it's Devontae Adams and everybody else on that Packers team, and same thing with the Niners. Jason Verrett's a good corner. Not great, but good. And then it's everyone else with those Niners corners, too. So whoever can win that matchup is going to be a big factor in this game. Also, I think both teams, not only running games, but receiving backs, too. Which one will have the better one there, too? Aaron Jones can pass catch, and Fred Warner's not playing 100% in this game. So may they take advantage of that? Maybe spread as somebody out Greenlaw to maybe open up the field for their other receivers. And same thing with the Niners. Maybe they want to clear the middle with those running backs to open up the field for Kittle or Ayuk, who's a great slot receiver. So they can try to make a difference with those matchups. Kyle Shanahan, I think, is the better raw play caller of the two coaches, but both are very creative with and the, the way they use And the worst in those. the fourth quarter. He's probably the worst offensive slash coach in the NFL. When he has something working out, for some reason he goes to the opposite. Yeah, and they weren't great in the fourth quarter either against the Cowboys. They made a couple clutch first downs when they needed to, but the creativity was definitely still there with that. So I think we'll have to see if they could take advantage and of that. And Green Bay's going into the game healthy. They are. Green Bay's going very healthy because they're getting Jair Alexander back too. They're getting David Bakhtiari back, so that's a big key for them. And they have a lot of the things that they didn't have in previous matchups against the 49ers. They have a guy that can guard tight ends. Devondre Campbell's had a great year. They had safeties back. So Kittle's going to be contained a little more than he was in the in that two years ago NFC Championship game. And then the run defense, too. They have it a lot better now. They were borderline top 10 run defense with a much better front seven. They still have raw interior flaws, but it's still a lot better. And Sunday at 3 p.m., you have the L.A. Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. Obviously, Tom Brady, the GOAT, everybody calls him. A, a guy that's won, what, seven Super Bowls, has a chance to win eight. He has a chance this year to win back-to-back Super Bowls. The last team to do that was the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. But to me... The game, the team that really stands out in this game are the L.A. Rams, a team that completely dominated an Arizona Cardinal team that a lot of people picked to win. I, I picked them to win. And, and a team that I really believe with all the trades and trading away all their draft stock and, and really saying we don't have a future, we want to win now because the Super Bowl is in L.A. This is a very, very big game for the L.A. Rams because really with Sean McVay. Sean McVay over the last three years – Ever since he went to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, they were talking about bringing in a new quarterback, bringing in somebody that can help them win a Super Bowl. Well, Jared Goff took him to the Super Bowl. If 
Matthew Stafford doesn't take him to just the Super Bowl. It was a complete bust. You traded away two first rounds, Jared Goff, and, and obviously a third-round draft pick for a guy that already took you there to, to the same spot, and you didn't even get there. So this is there's a lot of pressure on the L.A. Rams, and I think a lot more pressure on the L.A. Rams than Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl. Tom Brady has done everything that he wanted to do and more. Going to go down as one of the greatest winners of all time. When you look at the L.A. Rams, they brought in Von Miller. They gave up a second and a third. Odell Beckham, they gave up money for him. And to me, they're not bringing those guys back. Von Miller is not getting a contract next year with their salary the way it is, where they're paying Jalen Ramsey and they're paying Aaron Donald. And they got to extend Matthew Stafford in another year or two. So, again, they're not bringing back Von Miller. They're not bringing back Odell Beckham. So if they're going to win, Speedy, it's got to be now. There's two key matchups to look at with this game. You're right. The Rams definitely have more pressure on them just because of the L.A. Super Bowl factor. In terms of the actual game, I think – Tampa Bay, can they win without having to blitz too much? We saw them do it in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, and I think that's a good blueprint for the way they can play because if you blitz them, we've seen McVay's offense do very well with the bunch formations, the three receivers. The last three matchups, even though Tampa won in 2019, that was a high-scoring game. So Todd Bowles is going to have to make adjustments with that defense. They have the talent. Their secondary is down from where they were last year, sure, but they still have the linebackers. They're getting Levante David back. They still have a great run defense, and they still have that pass rush, which the Rams will probably be without Andrew Whitworth in this game, so they could probably take advantage of that. Also, their own running game, Tampa, against a Rams run defense that has struggled this year, especially running to the outside. Leonard Fournette, if he does play, is not going to be 100% in this game. Maybe we'll see Arians do some creative things running with the receivers a lot of the time, too. Giovanni Bernard pass catching back, maybe they can get him outside too because Brady will spread the ball around. And I think the biggest game of the weekend is 6.30 p.m. Sunday night, Buffalo at Kansas City. We saw this last year in the AFC title game. These two teams don't like each other. We saw what happened at the end of the game with Josh Allen and the defensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs and the offensive line of the Buffalo Bills. This game, uh, they have a lot to prove. Buffalo has a lot to prove more than Kansas City. Kansas City has been to -to back-to-back Super Bowls. They've won a Super Bowl, and they lost against Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. This year, this could be Buffalo's year. The last time Buffalo went to the Super Bowl was in the 90s. They have not been there. And with Josh Allen and with all the acquisitions they made over the last couple of years, and even their draft picks, and they bring in Oliver, who uh, everybody was saying, oh, he's a mess, he's a why draft a guy that has been nothing but trouble since he since he came out of college? They brought him in. They they brought all these different players in. They got the best pass rusher last year in the draft, Rousseau. Yeah. Rousseau, another he played guy well this year too, yeah. who's played very very well for them. We look at Buffalo. Buffalo is slowly but surely built around the draft, and they built around their quarterback, which they drafted, uh, you know, in the Sam Donald draft at, at number seven, who's really turned out to be the best quarterback in that class. Who would have thought? So, and then you go to Patrick Mahomes. We all know what Patrick Mahomes is. We know what the talented player that he is. Tyreek Hill has not been the same player he was over the last couple of years. He really hasn't. Uh, Travis Kelsey has been good this year, but he's been finding a lot of injury. And this defense, let's be honest, even though the defense in the second half of the season has been good, they've had a lot of emotional problems in certain parts of the season. Now, they're much better than they were in the beginning of the season. Their offensive line is playing better. But do you trust that this offensive line is going to keep the best defense in all of football away from hitting a guy like Patrick Mahomes. 
these two teams are very similar because they both have questionable running games, but they also have had both both have running backs that could catch passes too. So that matchup's going to be very interesting. Both teams are good in the middle of the field when it comes to defense. The Chiefs have a nice young linebacker in Nick Bolton that's played very well as a rookie. Honey Badger, obviously very good, but the Bills also have their linebackers and their safeties too that are all very talented for that matchup. I think the biggest key will be where the other receivers are going to come in. They have digs the Bills. They have held the Chiefs. But where's the other production coming from? Because both these secondaries, especially with White not being in for the Bills, can be questionable at times. Now, I think the Chiefs with the blitz packages have the better pass rush and the ability to rush the passer more, but the Bills also don't have to blitz as often because Spagnuolo's a blitzing guy. Leslie Fraser really isn't. So, will they be able to play that in account? And Mahomes is very good against the blitz, so that should definitely be the game plan for the Bills. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will make our free-for-all, free-for-all picks. We'll pick all these games, because it's not three. We're going to pick all four of these games, and we're going to get into some basketball conversation. We're going to talk about the Nets and the Knicks, the debacle of the New York Knicks. And Tom Thibodeau, is he going to have a heart attack? I'm just kidding. Uh, I hope not, because right now uh, we don't know where this team is going. It looks like they're where we thought going into the season they were moving forward. They're slowly but surely moving backwards. When we come back, we will get into the Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets, and our picks here on the Weekend Crunch. Welcome back. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are back. We're the Weekend Crunch. Remember, I'm your host, Errol Marks. You can't forget that name. Speedy Petey, who, uh, you know, sometimes is a jackass, but we love him. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the world. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, are you ready for our free for all, three for all picks? And we four picks this week as yes. we make our picks. All right, so we'll start with the Bengals and the Titans. As Chaz mentioned in our last segment, the over-under is 47.5. I'm going to take the Titans in this one. I think it'll be close. The Bengals' red zone offense concerned me a little bit, and the Titans are very good. Ben, don't break. I think Mike Vrabel with his coaching. And Mike Vrabel also 4-0 off of bye week, too. 8-0 with a lot of rest. So I'm going to take the Titans in this game on the under. I like the Titans in this game, too. I think both teams are very good defensively, but I like what the Titans have done in the second half. And Derrick Henry... Who's going to stop the beast? Even if he's at 80%, he's going to, there's only one running back. One running back that's had back-to-back-to-back 150-yard ga- games uh, in the playoffs. And I believe Derrick Henry will make his number four. Uh, Derrick Henry is, is an unbelievable player. So I'm going to go with Tennessee on the under. All right, 49ers Packers over under also 47.5. Uh, this will be a close game. I'm, I'm definitely going to take the under here. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I'm going to take the Packers. I probably would take the Niners if I wasn't so concerned with their injuries. Jimmy G getting a shoulder injury, too. Fred Warner, Nick Bosa not playing 100% if they do play. And like you were saying with the running back injuries, I think it will be close because Kyle Shanahan has done well for the Packer, or against the Packers in the past. But I'm going to take Green Bay in a close one on the under. I like Green Bay in this game, absolutely, uh, being that it's going to be very, very cold. It, 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 to me, when I look at the quarterbacks, it's, it's the most important thing. Do I trust Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make the throws at the end of the game? I don't. I trust that Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback and the better player out of all these teams. And also, I, I like what they are right now. Green Bay is healthy now. They're going into the game more healthier than San Francisco 49ers. And I think with Green Bay, this is going to be a back-and-forth offensive game. I think it's definitely going to be on the over. So give me Green Bay 
on the over. All right, L.A. Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The over-under is 48.5. This will be my upset. I'm going to take the Rams here. I like the matchup with their receivers against the Buccaneers secondary that hasn't really been as good this year. Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham both playing well against the Arizona Cardinals this week. And I think their pass rush against a line that's banged up too. Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen are probably playing, but they're going to be not be 100% either against that interior rush, even with Von Miller who played well, Leonard Floyd who played well as well. And the Buccaneers... They're, they're receiving depth without Mike, uh, without Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown gone, who hasn't been the same either. So I'm going to take the Rams in this one on the upset, on the over. Oh, I love the L.A. Rams in this game. And I'm not saying this. Everybody thinks I hate Tom Brady. This has nothing No, to you've been critical it. of the Rams, too. I, I've been critical with the Rams as well. I just think that this year is Matthew Stafford's year to get this team over the hump to the NFC title game. I don't think they're beating Green Bay if, if it is Green Bay in L.A., but... I just I like the Rams in this game. I think there's too many injuries with Tampa, and, and going into this game, even if they bring Fournette back, which they probably are, their secondary is very weak. It's not as strong as it was last year when they won the Super Bowl. So give me the L.A. Rams on the over. All right, but Bills and Chiefs, as Chaz mentioned, the over-under is 54.5. I am completely with Chaz on this one. I am smashing the over in this game. I, I, I definitely I think this will be a high-scoring game. This is going to be a great quarterback duel with both these secondaries having their issues. I think... I'm going to take the Chiefs for two reasons. One, I think they're a little better in the trenches uh, with their pass rush and their offensive line. And two, I think they're better in close games. The Bills have had trouble in close games this year. So I'm going to take the Chiefs definitely on the over, though. This is Josh Allen's year to get over the hump and knock off Patrick Mahomes and put himself right there with the top quarterbacks in the league. I love what he did against the Patriots, a very good defensive team and a very stout secondary, even though with all the injuries. But I just, there's something about this Buffalo team. Uh, they have that pizzazz, and you saw it against the Patriots. Give me the Buffalo Bills, and this is going to be a high scoring game. Give me it on the over. I think Buffalo on the over. All right. So there you go. Our picks of the week. Our four-for-all picks of the week. <laughs> there you go. I want to finish up this segment with the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets. It, really, the big story is the Knicks. I, I don't know what's going on with Julius Randle. And slowly but surely, even getting that $116 million contract in the offseason where he gave the Knicks an opportunity to bring in another star to play with him, slowly but surely, I'm starting to think that Julius Randle isn't the second guy. He's not the Robin. He's not Catwoman. He's not the, <laughs> he's not the Penguin. He's not anything because he's completely disappeared on the court. He's not the same player that we thought he was going to be. And I told you guys, he's not the same player when there's fans playing in the audience. Last year, when COVID-19 was going on, there was nobody in the audience. He was a better player. He was a more dominant player. Maybe it's the pressure. Maybe it's New York. Maybe him giving his thumbs down and saying the things that he said about the fans that he doesn't care. And, and now the boos coming out from the audience every single time he steps on the court from the cheers that we heard last year screaming MVP. It's not the same, Speedy. It's not. No, I think Julius Randle really has... Even though he's done well in certain instances passing, he's really just trying to become more of a quick shot type of guy. And that's not really the type of offense the Knicks want to run. The Knicks want to run a much more fluent ball movement type offense. And the Knicks are going to be ball stopped if Julius Randle shoots early in the shot clock, holds the ball too long, and then tries to take a mid-range shot. And we've seen him do this late in the game, too, and it's really cost the Knicks a lot of missed free throws. He had the bad missed free throw at the end of the game against the Timberwolves that cost him that game where they lost by two points. So you, you look at a player like Randle, it's not really his 
like go-to offense where it's him and then a big drop-off to everyone else, like we saw a little bit last year, where he was a leading scorer, I think, by seven points. So you got all of these other young guys playing well. Quentin Grimes is playing very well. Emmanuel Quigley's played well. Barrett's on a nice little hot streak right now for them. And Evan Fournier. And where's Obi Toppin? Where yes, the hell is he? That is also true. Where is Obi Toppin is a good question as well. And we'll see how Cam Reddish gets developed into this too once he Who you. believes he's going to be a superstar? Yeah. He has come out and said that Speedy, he said that he th- he believes he's a star. If somehow Cam Reddish becomes a star, he was a steal for the Knicks. An absolute steal for the Knicks. But that's going to be the question that only Cam Reddish is going to right. answer. Especially that he wants an extension in yep. the offseason where he wants to be paid as a star. So let's see what Cam Reddish does. But there's a lot more predish, uh, there's a lot more pressure on this team on trying to make the playoffs. I don't think this team is a playoff team right now. When you look at Julius Randle and where Julius Randle has been and where he is now, you can't trade Julius Randle. Even if you wanted to trade him right now, he's really he's he's really underachieving this year. Everybody thought he was a a 23 and 10 and and 7 guy. This year he's what? 19 10 and and Five? Shooting 42%. 42%. That's not going to sell to teams. You can't bring in another star. If you want to trade Julius Randle, you're going to sell him on a cheap. And yes, teams would take Julius Randle because he's still a good player. But you're not going to get back for what you, you could have gotten if, if you traded him last year in the offseason when you gave him the extension, Speedy. Yeah, and now you're dealing with a case where if he doesn't change his play, there's going to be not going to be a lot of players that want to come here, too. The Knicks have been in trade rumors. Obviously, they're going to be in superstar rumors all the time because it's New York. But we also heard like trade scenarios with Jalen Brunson and like younger guys like that. So those guys are not going to want to play with somebody like Julius Randle. The Knicks, in terms of making the playoffs, they're still a shot. But again, the, the Raptors are starting to play very well. You still got the Wizards and the Celtics right above them right now, and uh, the Knicks have had a lot of trouble against those teams. And, and there are three te- three names that are popping up in trade rumors. Miles Turner is another guy that the Knicks really, really love. He fits Tom Thibodeau's offense and defense like a glove because he's, he's defensively defensively stout, and he's one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, another player, Jalen Brunson, who obviously everybody knows his father played with the Knicks, and he his New York uh, roots are from New York, so a lot of people think that the Knicks are, and the Knicks have reached out to Dallas, and they're very interested in Jalen Brunson. And then there's De'Aaron Fox, who yes. everybody believes Sacramento is interested in moving, and he's a guy that the Knicks wanted to draft years and years ago. He was my favorite player in that draft. I remember that. Problem with him is he's not a good shooter, and he doesn't fit the the, the league of what the league is today. Now uh, he's not as bad as obviously Ben Simmons, but no. <laughs> uh, to me, you need to figure out where you're going with this team, and if you bring in a De'Aaron Fox. Is he does he fit with Julius Randle? I think they play together, if I'm not mistaken, right? They no, both play for no, Rand, the three years apart. Though. All right, so uh, they didn't play together, but uh, uh, Julius Randle, both him and De'Aaron Fox played for Kentucky, the same team, same coach. Uh, maybe you keep them two together and try to see how they build together if they they make a trade for that. I think that if you trade for De'Aaron Fox, you Fox, you have to trade Julius Randle in that trade. So as far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, okay. There's really nothing to say besides Kevin Durant, who was going for an MVP. He was having an MVP season. Now he's out four to six weeks. Because he's out four to six weeks, Speedy, he might lose his opportunity to win the MVP. It might go to Steph Curry just because he's going to miss four to six weeks. Might go to Joel Embiid the way he's playing. And Joel Embiid. So Kevin Durant, who I think has been the best player all around than any player in the league this year, is is now going to be out six weeks. What does this do for the Nets? Well, uh, you, you got guys like James Harden that has to step up, which he did late the other day. 
Kyrie Irving being out and, and, and not playing home games, that affects the Nets too because you would expect Kyrie Irving to take over some of that points that you're losing for a guy like Kevin Durant and if James Harden's not scoring in certain games. So this hurts the Nets, but the way the Nets are playing and, and the position that they put themselves in, even if they lose three or four games in a row, they're still on top of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think when you look at the Nets even so – them being so good on the road this year, I think they just have to really manage these injuries to a T, where even if they follow a three or four seed, I don't think it's really going to be a big deal for them because they've been so good on the road this year. And we know Kyrie Irving's not going to play home games. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Mark, my co-host, Speedy, I need to go home, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. By the way, fans, I know you've been watching the Islander game. Our show every single Saturday, if the Islander games are live at 7 p.m., We'll be live after the game at 10.30 after the presser. So if you guys are expecting us to be on at 7 p.m., if the Islander games are live, we're after the Islander games. So just so you guys know. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So we'll start with the New York Giants. Buy or sell. They will hire Brian Dable as their head coach. I'm going to sell that. I think it's Brian Flores all the way. It's, it's Brian Flores or bust in, in the Mara's eyes because it, if you look at John Mara and what John Mara has said, he is going to reach out to Brian Flores and, and personally talk to him. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to buy it because I think Brian Flores has interviewed so many other spots too. I think another team will steal him first and then David will be the guy after that with Joe Shane. So I'm going to buy that. Buy or sell. Both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes will have 300 plus yards and two touchdowns. I'm going to sell that. I think one will have three over 300 yards and three touchdowns. The other one will have a bad game. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. I think this is going to be a shootout. Great quarterback duels with neither team having a great running game. I am absolutely going to buy that. Buy or sell. Joe Mixon will have more rushing yards than Derrick Henry. Never going to happen. I'm going to sell that. I, even, I just told you guys, Derrick Henry, even at 80%, is better than any running back in the league. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. More scrimmage yards for Mixon. I could see that with him being more of a pass-catching guy, but definitely not more rushing yards with Henry's postseason success. Buy or sell. Both Cooper Cup and Mike Evans will have 80-plus yards and a touchdown. Um, I'm going to sell that. I think Cooper Cup will. I don't trust Mike Evans, especially uh, Jalen Ramsey on him. Jalen Ramsey will shut him down. And, and, and Mike Evans isn't 100% healthy, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. Even though it was encouraging the way he played last week against Darius Slay, Jalen Ramsey, still a little younger, still a little faster than that. And I think uh, the, the Buccaneers are going to spread the ball around more. I'm going to sell it. All right, last one. Both Debo Samuel and Devontae Adams will have six-plus catches and 100-plus yards. Mm, that's a good one. Mm. I'm going to sell I'm. I'm going to buy it. I think both players are going to have fantastic games. It's going to be very, very fun to watch both quarterbacks throw the ball, but I, it's going to be even more fun to watch Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers has, a prove, uh, has to prove himself to be a two-time champion. I think this is his year, and he'll move on uh, to another team in the offseason, so I am going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. Scrimmage yards for Devo Samuel, yes. I don't think he gets 100 receiving yards with Jair Alexander coming back. Devontae Adams definitely gets that. He's the best wide receiver in football. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank Lee Bodden for joining us, ex-NFL player, now politician. He was awesome. We might have him on in a couple of months. Uh, he, he loved coming on with us. And thank you to Tyle Harrison from the Sports Loudmouths for joining us with the interview. He was great as well with the questions that he asked. Uh, it's, it, to me, even with our, our betting show and, our, and adding the betting show to our segments, this is going to be fun for all the betting fans the New York betting fans out there. And we didn't talk a lot about uh, New York betting and, and obviously it, it being introduced to the New York fans. But uh, as we move forward uh, weeks in, uh, we will talk more about the betting and where the betting will take uh, to take it to New York and, and help us moving forward with all the problems that we have, uh, you know, when it comes to money. So uh, thank you to the new show uh, and, and new add-on segment, The Moneyline Mania with Chaz and his crew. Uh, they're going to be joining us every single week. Stay tuned. Listen to us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. or after the Islander games at 10.30 p.m. We really appreciate all the fans tuning in and keep tuning in to our great sports radio show here on 103.9. Until then, Errol Marks, Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.